For the last two months, we have been looking at the book of Philippians, and this morning we are in our last time that we're looking at this amazing letter that the Apostle Paul wrote from prison to those who were in the church of Philippi. And I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. You can certainly always find it on a Bible app. Um, and the text that I will be using is the English Standard Version. We've learned as we've gone along that Paul is writing a letter from prison. And I've said this a number of times, so I'm going to say it one more time. He would change places with us. He would much rather be sitting in a sanctuary with a mask on, socially distanced, than sitting in a prison. Amen? You hear me? He would rather be dealing with what we have to deal with that we get so concerned about than having to deal with what he did. And yet in the midst of that, 17 times he says the word joy, find joy, be joyful, rejoice always. That word appears more times in this letter than in any other book of the Bible. He's talking about finding joy in every circumstance and in every situation. And so we've called this sermon series, Anxious No More, because Paul has learned how to deal with all of those anxious thoughts and anxious feelings by trusting in God, by knowing he had this personal relationship with Jesus. And no matter where he was, no matter what he was facing, he was well aware that God could get him through, and God would get him through, and God was getting him through. And now as we come to the end of this letter and we look one last time at what he has to say to us, we continue to hear how he moves us beyond our circumstances to a place in which we realize that it is not our circumstances that will ultimately give us joy, peace, and happiness. I think one of the first times I learned this was as a child. I was a kid. I'm sure a lot of you had the same experience where I would look out the window and I'd watch my dad mow the yard or my older brother mow the yard. And I remember sitting there thinking, I just can't wait till I'm old enough that I get to push that lawnmower around the yard. Then I remember being out pushing that lawnmower around the yard, looking at the window, thinking, I just wish I could be back inside with my parents and turn on the television. You see, the circumstances don't solve the problems in our life, do they? They don't make us be able to be satisfied. It's not that we change our circumstances or we long for the next job or the next vacation or something else out there and that that's going to make everything good so that we're going to be happy and we're going to find fulfillment. And that is what Paul has been so clear about in this letter. It's not something out there that needs to change. It's God's work in our heart that needs to change us. And that's what Philippians is all about. If we are going to always look for something out there to fulfill us, we're going to be unfulfilled. So listen in this text what he says to us in verses 10 through 13. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. I want to Read that words again. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
Paul is literally giving us the formula, the key to what he's discovered in his faith that has really made it so life is okay for him no matter what. And it begins by developing caring relationships. Far too often, we devalue the friends and the family in our life and we don't understand how important they are. The people in your life are a sacred trust. Whether they are Christians or not, whether you see the world the way they do or not, whether everybody has, has the same perspective or not, none of that in terms of our need for one another matters. What does matter, however, is that God has placed people in every one of our lives that we are invited to build caring relationships with because those relationships are essential. I remember the old poem, No Man is an Island. We cannot get through life alone on our own. We need one another. That's why the church is the body of Christ. That's why we so long during those months when we couldn't even be together in worship to see each other because caring relationships were not only essential for the Apostle Paul in the first century, they're essential for us today. So if you have struggles in relationships in your life, rather than you and I always looking at what other people have done wrong, it's essential for us to look at ourselves and say, how can I make a difference? How can I bring about healing? How can I bring about forgiveness? And how can I extend grace to another person? How many times have people burned through family relationships or relationships with good friends, only to later regret it and say, how in the world did that happen? Listen to what Paul is saying here in prison, sitting in prison, and he's reflecting on his relationships with these people in the church of Philippi, and he said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. In other words, what he's saying is, I just got in the mail a gift from all of you. Something had arrived that day. In fact, that's probably the reason why he writes this letter in the first place is he's writing a letter out of appreciation that they've sent something to him that's concrete. We don't know what it is. It could have been a letter that they sent. It could have been some kind of monetary offering that maybe is given to him that he's able to buy stuff even though he's there in prison. Maybe a prison guard will go out and get something. It may be something as tangible as a blanket that they've sent to him. We don't know specifically what it is that he's received, but he's received a gift from people. And he knows that that church has been thinking about him. And then he goes on to point out that I know that before he says... You were concerned, but you didn't have an opportunity. Now, again, we don't know why they didn't have an opportunity. Maybe there's a problem in the church. Maybe they couldn't get somebody to bring something to Rome. Maybe the guards at the prison weren't allowing gifts to come in. But this day, the Apostle Paul is just reflecting on the fact of, why well, I got great relationships. And even when a gift wasn't coming, even when he wasn't hearing from these people, that meant that when he was in prison... He was alone, but he wasn't alone. Yes, God, the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he, he was well aware of God's presence in his life, but he was also aware that people were praying for him and thinking about him. We have a lot of things in life where we just need to know that our loved ones are thinking about us and we're thinking about them. A lot of times I don't know what to say to somebody, and the only thing I can say is I care, and that's an important thing for us to learn to say to people. I care. Because we need each other. We need to support each other. It's part of being a Christian and growing the way God wants us to grow. Today, I fear we don't get how important all of these relationships are. I look at our society and how divided we are, and it's almost like we're making people indispensable. 
If we just see someone else as a person who has a different opinion from us, rather than asking the deeper question, how do I get along with people? How do I build bridges with people that perhaps I have great differences from? My mom used to say, you may be the only Bible someone else ever reads. That's humbling thought, isn't it? You may be the only Bible another person ever reads. And if you and I, the best that we can do is argue with others and try to insist on our way, and we're not showing grace and love to others, we're not being what God asks us to be and calls us to be as Christians. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., back in the 1960s, said, the richer we have become materially, the poorer we have become morally and spiritually. If that was true in the 1960s, it's even truer today. We become a wealthy nation, and, and Christians, the Christian church has more money than it's ever had before, and more resources and more opportunities. But does that mean we are better off morally and spiritually? He goes on to say, we have learned to fly in the air like birds and swim in the sea like fish, but we have not learned the simple art of living together as brothers. God wants us to learn that. That's an essential part. When we raise our children, we need our children to grow up so that they learn how to build healthy relationships. This is not about a, being in an abusive relationship and thinking that you have to stick with it. That is not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is healthy relationships in which we can love and care for each other. This morning in our lawn chair worship, Little Ruby was being held by someone, my granddaughter. Do you guys know I had a granddaughter? I have another one on the way, but I think it's going to be a grandson, but that's another story. She saw her grandpa in a mask across the parking lot. She pointed and screamed and wanted to come over, and I held her. Now we were singing worship songs, and all of a sudden she discovered her daddy was up front, and he was playing the piano, and she looked up at him and did the same thing. Just wanted to be up with him. That's how we're created. A one-year-old gets how important. I know that person. That's my daddy. That's my grandpa. That's my friend. That's what God calls us to do and to nurture and build that as Christians. You see, the Apostle Paul had worked on having good relationships, and that served him even in prison. Therefore, he was able to write, You were concerned for me, but you didn't even have the opportunity to show it, but I knew you still cared about me. Can you and I say that in our life? Can we know that wherever we are and whatever we're doing, that we have built caring relationships with people, that we know that people are praying for us? If we're going through a job interview, we know someone's praying for us. If we're going through a tough time, even if they're not able to be with us, that they are thinking about us and they are praying for us. Or when others are going through tough times, that we're thinking about them, praying for them. And I don't mean the old, oh, I'll be praying for you, and then we don't think about it. I mean, I'll pray for you when we take time and we say the prayer for the other person. Why do we get so anxious in life? Because we don't build those kind of relationships. The Apostle Paul, even in, in prison, knew that he had these caring relationships in his life. But what are we doing in our society when we allow ourselves to be so divided? Are we truly understanding the importance of other people? Someone else can completely disagree with me, but that doesn't mean that they can't be my friend. We even honor, out of our political system, times in our country, we talk about it. Oh, remember the days when Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill got along with each other? Yeah, remember the days when Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan got along with each other? They could see the world from different perspectives, but they understood their, their desire to be friends and care about each other. 
we've been talking in our Be the Bridge program, which is a Christian program written by a woman from a church in Texas on looking at the racial issues in our society and, and racial reconciliation. And this last week, we got talking about communal guilt, and we talked about the fact that as individual Christians, we struggle with this idea because we see everything so individualistic, and we think, well, if I haven't done anything wrong, I shouldn't have any kind of guilt over it. And that got me thinking, you know, we don't do the same on the positive. When we do something great as a society or something great as a church, we all like to take credit for it. I'm so proud to be an American. It looks so good. Well, the same hand, there are things in our world that we have got to acknowledge, divide us and pull us apart. And those are real issues that need to be addressed. And all we can do is our part in the end. All you and I can do is change our hearts and learn how to treat others and learn to treat them in a different way and do what we can to testify to a better way of living. And then that got me thinking about COVID-19 and this whole thing that I'd never really heard the term before, heard heard immunity. You've all heard it. If you get a certain number of people who have an immunity, you can overcome a virus and you can get rid of the virus. We saw that with smallpox. You finally got it through vaccination enough that we wiped out smallpox. And well, the idea is that if you get enough people who either have been immunized or have become sick with something and gone through it and now have an immunity to it, that once you get a large enough thing, then you get enough people that it literally can get rid of a virus. Did you know the same thing must be absolutely true with regards to other problems in our society, in our church, in our family? If enough people are living the right way and doing things the right way, the problems will go away. God's promised that to us. Do you hear that? That's a promise that we get out of the scriptures of how to live our lives. Sin's not going to disappear, but as we grow in grace and we learn to build caring relationships, we can become a caring community. That's why at Faith Community Church, we have core values. And what is our second core value? Growing relationships. Building healthy relationships, realizing part of why you come to a church is so that you make a church family and you get to know others and you get to go through the thick and thin of life. And many of us have experienced that, that when we go through some of our toughest times or when we go through our most joyous times, it's nice to know a church family is there with us. Amen? It's nice to know a church family is there with us. That's what Paul had in prison and that's what we need to do our part to grow. God's not just going to all of a sudden automatically just give you healthy relationships. It takes work on our part. That's part of that sanctifying process. If we do our part and the Holy Spirit intervenes. But the other thing is, once we realize we have to have caring relationships, that's really a good thing, and that's probably good practical advice for everybody. But there's more than that. It goes on to help us understand that he'd learned to be content in all circumstances Those are tough words. Content in every circumstance. Learning that whether he was a kid looking out the window wanting to mow the yard or the kid out mowing the yard, either one was going to be okay because that's how God wants us to live, to learn that we can be okay no matter what our circumstances. I've seen that as a pastor. I've seen Christians go through stuff that I cannot imagine how they get through. And they've said to me, it's okay, Pastor Stan, I'm fine. God's been faithful. God's getting me through. I think of people who have faced some of the most difficult illnesses and family crises. I said, it's okay. 
I was able to rely on my faith, and God got me through, and the, the Lord has been faithful during this time. Paul puts it this way in verses 11 and 12. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. In other words, what he's saying is, I received this gift. It's not that, like, I couldn't have made it without the gift. The gift was great because it showed, you, showed me that you care about me and reminded me of that. For, he says, verse 11, I learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Wow, those are powerful words. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content, for I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in every circumstance. Paul is clear that he isn't asking for gifts. In fact, he's okay. He's content if he doesn't get a gift. And then he does a little play on words. You see, the, the Stoics of the first century said self-sufficiency was the secret to life. If you could just be strong enough to get through life on your own, that somehow then everything else would fall into place. And so he kind of uses the same word with a little twist on it to let us know that it's not about self-sufficiency, it's God's sufficiency. There's a difference. I don't need to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I can't do it anyhow. You can try it after worship. Stand there, try to pull yourself up. You can't do it. But you know what I can do? I can learn to rely on Jesus, my Lord and my Savior, no matter what I go through, and so can you. Each one of us can learn to be content, not because we are self-sufficient, but because we are God-sufficient. That's why Paul had learned to be content in every circumstances. We learn this by sticking with things and trusting God when life gets tough. We don't learn this by running away every time we face a problem in our life. I can't tell you how many times I've seen Christians go through tough things and they'll come to me for counsel or they'll talk to other Christians and they'll say, should I just bail? And they decide, nope, I need to stick with it. I just need to keep moving forward and I need to stay with it. And God blesses that in the end. Because in that, we learn to be content. We learn that God gets us through the tough times. One of my best friends is a family therapist, and I asked him one time, what is the difference between relationships that work out and ones that don't? And this isn't just about marriages. This is about all relationships, all friendships, all jobs, all neighbor relationships, everything. And he said, the difference is not the circumstances. It's the commitment to get through no matter what and learn what you need to learn so that you grow through the circumstance. Hear the difference? If I want the other person to constantly change, I'm never going to learn anything in life. But when I learn to stick through stuff and keep going through it with God's help, no matter what I face, I can get through. So the Apostle Paul had already learned that before he's sitting in jail in, Phil in, in Rome writing to the church in Philippi. He's already learned that no matter what he faces, he can get through it. So now when he's in that situation, he knows he can get through it. I was talking to somebody before the first service this morning who was asking about my family, and I said, it's interesting. Our heritage goes back to 1638. The Cushings have all lived on the south shore of Boston since 1638 to today. The first one was buried up in Hingham, and if you go to Duxbury Cemetery, my parents are buried there, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, my great-great-grandparents, my great-great-great-grandparents, and then the rest of them are all buried. You keep going back, Carver, um, Weymouth, different towns in the area. Two of my great-great-great-great-great-grandfathers died overseas and were buried at sea. But all of our families always lived in this area. Except for the fact that my mom and dad got called to do ministry out on the prairie in the Dakotas. And so I got to be born in North Dakota. 
So I always laugh and I go, 100 years from now, they're going to look at the Cushing family tree and they're not even going to know about the fact that I was a North Dakotan. And then they're going to go, but why was this guy born in Minot? That doesn't even make sense because everybody else was here on the South Shore of Boston. Well, when my parents went out to the prairie in 1940s, life was tough. Life was hard. And a lot of times I'd talk to my mom about that and she would say, life was a lot of struggles. One year, my, my dad had gone out to be a pastor, and he served a church that they couldn't afford to pay him for an entire year. So what they did is they did get food that was given to them, just enough to keep them going. And I said, what did you learn from that, Mom? She goes, I learned I don't like pork. I said, why is that? She said, I ate pork for every meal for a year. I didn't like it before, and I don't care if I never eat pork again in my life. But you know what my parents also learned? They learned to stick with stuff. They learned that no matter how tough life was, that they had been called to a place and they had been called to a ministry and they would continue to get through it. And no matter what, they learned to be content. And I remember sitting with my mom and dad in their little house in North Moorhead, Minnesota after they retired. A little house that they'd paid $40,000 for. And they'd paid it off and they felt good about it. And my dad said, I'm just happy. Look what we have. I was looking around thinking, you know, this is New England. This is just a little tiny house. But they were happy. And they learned to be content in every circumstance. They learned to get through everything because they knew that God had called them to a ministry. And they knew no matter how difficult it was that they were going to make it through. The Apostle Paul learned the same thing. Have we learned that, folks? Have you learned to be content that it's not about a circumstance out there? It's not about something in this world changing for you and me to be able to be happy. When we can stick with it and build relationships and learn that we're in a church where we don't like half the people, praise God, that's awesome, because now I know I can stick in a church. When I get to a job and everybody disagrees with me, hallelujah, that means I know that I can be in a job where people don't look at the world the same as me. Getting the point? And when I get to go to Thanksgiving dinner and not a single person in my family sees the world the way I see it, wow, God has put me in the right place because I've learned that I can be content in every situation rather than us turning life constantly into thinking that circumstances have to change for us. We learn that God wants to change us for the circumstances. What a gift it is. God's sufficient. That's what we're asked to be in life, is to learn to be God-sufficient. Paul is sitting in prison, reflecting on his caring relationships, learn to be content in every circumstance, and confident of God's blessing. He knew that no matter what, that God was going to bless him and God was going to come through. And that's what we're asked to understand in our own lives. No matter what you face, no matter what I face, we know that God will get us through and we can be confident of God's blessing. That's why Paul ends this section, verse 13, with, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is not saying, I can take on every challenge in this world that I was not called to do and be able to do it. He's not saying, I can go out tomorrow and run a four-minute mile because God will let me do it. 
He's not saying that if I've never trained for a marathon, I can walk out and I can run a marathon. People mistranslate or misput this passage all the time, thinking it's saying something that it's not. No, what he's saying is I'm learning that in every circumstance, in every situation that I am having to face, that I can do it with God's help. Hear the difference? There are things you and I are going to have to face and have had to face in our lives that God will get us through. It doesn't mean we have to go out and be Superman or Superwoman or Wonder Woman and face things that we're never asked to do. But whatever we're asked to face, if we have faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, we can get through it and we can be more than overcomers. We can be victorious. The word strength, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, is a Greek word dunamai. Fascinating. You know that word. What's it get used for in our language? Dynamite. Christ gives me strength. The Holy Spirit empowers me with the, the kind of power that eventually, when they're looking for a word for dynamite, they take that same word. In the second chapter of Acts, when they're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, they use that same word, dunamai, that the Holy Spirit's power is an explosive and, a, and an overcoming power that no matter what we face, we can get through. As I was thinking about that and I was thinking about Paul sitting in prison, it got me thinking about Nelson Mandela. Do you know that Nelson Mandela spent 27 years in prison? That's a long time. 27 years in prison. Now, Nelson Mandela had come to faith in Christ. And it was interesting. It was through his mom, who was a Methodist. And he'd learned to trust in Jesus. And he'd learned to get through everything. And people sometimes get confused. And they said, well, then why didn't Nelson Mandela talk more about religion? And that's because the religion was being so misused in South Africa that he didn't want it to become a political thing. So when you read his writings, he talks personally about the strength that he got from his faith. For 20 years, the first 20 years of his time in prison, he spent a lot of time in solitary confinement. And people tried to break him and, and break his will, and they couldn't do it. Some years, he was only allowed one visit. One visit for half an hour. That was it. You're in a solitary confinement. Entire year, you get one visit for half an hour. One of those years, his lawyer visited him and came out and said, that you cannot break this guy's will. He is positive, and he knows that in the end, things are going to work out. Somewhere around year 20, they finally let him have a few more leniencies, and they were allowing him now to go to worship on Sunday morning. And he was offered to, to leave prison. But to leave prison meant he had to compromise and turn against the very people that he was working with to overcome apartheid in South Africa, and he turned it down. So like John McCain did when he was in prison, saying, you know what, if my buddies can't go out with me, you're not going to use me as a political tool. And Mandela spent another seven years in prison. Somebody was talking about him and, and reflecting, and they said, you know what? Nelson Mandela learned to play the long game because he knew that good was always going to win. He knew that in the end, God was going to come through. And of course he does. And eventually he gets out of prison and he becomes a president of South Africa and apartheid is done away with. And people are like, how in the world was a person able to go through 27 years of that kind of turmoil and be positive? And he said, I just always learned to play the game of attrition. I knew that things would always pass away and God would always come through. 
It's funny, there's a story about a guy who played chess against him one day. And Nelson Mandela had learned so hard that he just had to stick with stuff. That the game got kind of complicated and got bogged down. And the person who was watching said, there's no way you're going to beat Nelson Mandela because he'll play this game for a year if he has to to beat him. And eventually he did. Because when we understand that in the end God comes through and good happens, no matter how difficult it is in the meantime, we start understanding what it means to be confident of God's blessing. You see, we know the end of the story. Pick up your Bibles, folks, and read through the book of Revelation and get to about chapter 20, and you all of a sudden discover that the saints have been agonizing and, and all kinds of awful things happen. We spend eternity singing the praises and worshiping the Lamb. That no matter how tough things are in the short run, we know that God is faithful and good always overcomes and God is victorious. For a season, things may look as if Something else is happening, but that is not the, the God that we serve. Like the Apostle Paul, Mandela didn't get anxious and overplay his hand. He knew that God always wins. Do you know that? I'm going to ask it again. God wins. Do you know that? I still didn't hear you. God wins. Do you know that? God wins. Do you know that? Oh, I'm not hearing it. God wins. Do you know that? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need to know that. We need to know that we can trust you and build the caring relationships in our lives, that we can learn to be content in every situation, to know that we are confident of your blessing. We thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you that Paul faced something that we would never want to face. And we can read stories of people like Nelson Mandela. We can hear of John McCain, a, an American prisoner of war, that likewise was able to get through the most difficult time of life. Help us to understand in our faith that we serve the risen Savior. That no matter what we face in our life, that we can trust in you and we know that you are God. And even when in a season things may look difficult and beyond our comprehension, help us be confident in the caring relationships that we've built and know that there are people who are praying for us and we have done the hard work of building those relationships so we can love and support one another. Help us discover that we can be content no matter the circumstances. But most importantly, help us to know that we can be confident because you are God and you are the rock in whom we trust. And with our faith in you and the power of your Holy Spirit, that power that is more powerful than dynamite, that we can always trust you. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives and in our world. And we just pray for your blessing today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.